book is my all-sufficient guide for faith and conduct. Convinced living water changes everything one life at a time. Praise the Lord. Well, this morning I want to start uh, into some real specifics about our first word, talking about the power of God working in our lives, and that is the word obedience. The word obedience. Now you notice the screen that is up there. It is there on purpose because as we really begin to uh, talk about obedience in an in-depth way, I will tell you right now, that this is not a glamour shot that you are going to see. You see that it's very weathered. It looks like, man, do I really want to be a part of that? What I'm trying to say to you is this. Obedience is one of those things that is absolutely necessary and it brings a garden of incredible beauty at the end. But in the daily walking and living out obedience in your life, it will oftentimes look like this. Do you hear me? I would like to tell you that, that every Monday, Tuesday, whatever morning it is, that you'll get up and you'll say, Woohoo, yippee, I get to be obedient. And everything will be bright colors. And everything will be wonderful. But sometimes obedience is just rubber. Meet the road. It's good because it's right. Let me say the other thing that it ought to be. It ought to be something that's well used in our lives. If obedience looks like something you've done once in your life, it's going to look real pristine. But I hope it looks worn out. Because if it looks worn out, you're going to have areas of your life and you're going to see things that are absolutely beautiful. Amen? So as we look at obedience and daily living of God's word, I want you to, want you to understand that I know there are lots of other topics that, that bring uh, uh, lots of other excitement, but there is none as exciting as being obedient to God. There is nothing that will bless your life than being obedient to God. Obedience brings huge blessing. So I want to talk about that, and we're going to look at uh, kind of uh, an entire chapter, but... I have specifically called it out to one verse because we're going to be talking about several places uh, in, in this uh, passage uh, of Scripture this morning. So we're going to go to uh, 1 Samuel uh, chapter 15, and we're looking at verse number 22. We're looking at verse number 22. 1 Samuel 15, verse number 22. 
I'm going to read that. I'm going to give some background for you uh, after we read the passage of Scripture. But let's read the Scripture first. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. New American Standard, of course, Bible. Uh, Okay, so let's, in this passage of Scripture, we are looking at the life of Saul. I want to talk to you about, if you want to title this, Pitfalls to Obedience. Pitfalls to Obedience. Because honestly, most of the time, we set out in life, we don't set out in life saying, I know what I want to do with my life, I want to destroy it completely and at the end be totally ruined. I don't believe someone really has that in mind as they set out. But if we are not careful, there are pitfalls that we get into that if we do not correct them and we do not understand what they are, they will ruin us. So I want to talk about that. In this passage of Scripture, we see King Saul. He was the first king of Israel. He was a mighty king. He did incredible exploits for God. But here, after having been successful for some amount of time, God asked him to go to uh, uh, Amalek, the Amalekites, and to destroy them completely. This was a, uh, 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 if you study this, an incredible, absolute, ruined, wicked group of people. And God said, don't make treaty with them. Don't don't, uh, uh, compromise when you go. Do not spare anything. And he said, don't spare animals. Don't spare anything. Go and exterminate them. Okay? And you say, well, that doesn't sound like God's heart. Okay? We have to understand God's grace in this. We have to understand God is not wicked. God is not saying that life does not matter. But if you study and you understand why this people group, and and I don't have all the details, I can only tell you that this was not a people group that was going to be redeemed, and it wasn't because of God. Do you understand that? That's why God said, go, don't make treaty with them. And so Saul, I bring you to this point to say he was uh, king over all Israel. God gave him clear uh, expectations. And I want you to look at chapter 15, verse number 3. If you ever wondered whether God gave clear instructions, circle that verse. There was no question about God's instructions to Saul. Saul had clear instructions, and Samuel the prophet had heard them too, and they all knew what the word of the Lord was. There was no ambiguity in what God had given. Okay? So, 
as we look at this, uh, you know, I wish sometimes that when we were about to go into a pitfall that we truly would get this sign that would be either mentally or somewhere in life that we would get one of those. Wouldn't that be easier if we just had something that said, well, wait a minute, pitfall, so that we could go around. But oftentimes in life, it is not that way. Oftentimes in life, I find that that doesn't happen. And so uh, there are three things, and before I get to the three things, I want to then take you, we, we talked about verse number three of chapter 15, 1 Samuel. Now let's go to verse number nine. You, 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 I had you read God's instructions there. They were clear. Destroy them completely, all of them, including the king. Now listen to what verse nine says. But Saul and the people spared Agag, that was the king, and the best of the sheep, the oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good, and they were not willing to destroy them utterly. Do you hear what the Word of God says? didn't say they accidentally brought one home doesn't say that, you know, they, they felt bad along the way, but they, they then a weak moment did it. It says they were not willing to destroy utterly. But everything despised and worthless, they utterly destroyed. Those are the easy things to destroy. You hear me? There are things that you will find that are real easy to destroy in your walk and in your life spiritually. There are other things that you will have to dig them out and say there is no other alternative you're going. Amen? I, I, I know that this is meat this morning, okay? That's why I prayed. I know this is going to be meat, but we need to understand that Yes, God's power is available. Yes, we can't do it on our own. But if the willingness of our heart is not there, God cannot and will not move. Our hearts have to be there. And here we get into these uh, pitfalls, and I want to talk about three of them. You can write them down. The first pitfall is pitfalls of the heart. The second pitfall is pitfalls of the tongue. And the third and most deadly pitfall is the pitfall of pretense. The pitfall of pretense, and I will describe that word for you because this is a huge word. But I want to talk about all three of these, and the first one we're going to deal with is the heart. There are pitfalls of the heart that we all need to be aware of because although God has redeemed us, praise God, thank the Lord, He saved us, but we still are in this carnal body. We still, God, when He saves us, and I, I believe me, sometimes I know, I say, Lord, it would be better 
once they are saved, if you just took them home. I get it, okay? I've been one of those people frustrated with my own self to say, God, you'd be better off. Just, just take me now. <laughs> but God's plan is bigger than that. Do you not understand the power of God that works through you? He who saved you is able to empower you, is able to raise you up, is able for you to stand in the Spirit of God. Or His Word would not say so. But His Word does say so. Saul had been a mighty king of Israel. He had done the, the word of the Lord and the Lord blessed him in everything he did. God is true to his word. But there are pitfalls of the heart. And I want to talk about some of them. And the first thing that I will tell you is when we have been on a long, successful run with the Lord, you need to guard your heart even more careful. Do you hear me? Saul had had wonderful things happen. And it got convenient to just kind of let it slide. Success is a wonderful thing, but it can also make us complacent. It can make us to where we aren't watchful, to where we aren't anticipating. And, and in this, some things began to happen. The people in Saul began to, to look and, and covet after things. They looked at what was best and they thought, man, destroy that? Come on. How, how is that going to hurt us? And so I, I want to bring a scripture out because I believe that this is... Uh, uh, very easy to see what had happened here with Saul and the people. 1 John 2, 15 through 16 says this, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. But all that is in, for all that is in the world... Listen to the three things, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. I am going to say it for the sake of being redundant. Watch carefully. I cannot, I cannot emphasize it enough. Young people as well as older ones, what you fall in love with matters. Whether it be things in the world or people, what you give your heart to and fall in love with can be a wonderful thing or the snare of a horrible, horrible proportion. 
hold the things of this world with very loose fingertips and hands <laughs> because they don't amount to much. The Bible says it this way in Proverbs 4.23, guard your heart for in it are, it's the wellsprings of life or the issues of life come from it. You've got to be careful. You've got to be careful who commands your heart. And I will say even to uh, uh, nothing, God must be first place. Sometimes we put good things in front of God. It isn't good. Good things are not God. Let God be at that top order and everything else from that. Do not love the world. I believe what happened is they began to like the success. They began to, to see those things. And it says here, literally, they looked on the things and that they were really good and they were not willing. They were not willing. That is willful saying no. I understand what the instructions were, but I'm going to do what I want to do. Okay? I want to... I want to make that clear because as we go forward here, it's going to be very important, okay? So pitfalls of the heart uh, are, are very serious. That's why I say uh, who you fall in love with, the things you fall in love with are, are extremely, extremely, extremely important. Don't let just anything or anyone have command of your heart. All right. Let's talk about this second pitfall. Your tongue. I put that picture up there because I think if all of us could really see our tongue like that, we'd maybe control it a little better. Because sometimes we don't see how big and how ugly it can really be. Okay? But there are pitfalls of the tongue. And I have to tell you that in a few uh, chapters back in Saul's life, he began to compromise with words. He, he has a story where he says anybody who does that is going to die. He's very flippant with his words. And then he finds out his son is the one that has to die. And he's unwilling. And the people talk him out of it. Now, I understand that in our, uh, in our society, whether we want to say, uh, you know, I understand the sticks and stones will break uh, bones, but words will never hurt me, that little phrase we use. But honestly... Uh, we just don't see the hurts. That's not true. Okay? Because they do hurt. Uh, we, we don't think that if there is a wound that's, a, that's present that we can see that no harm has been done. But there's plenty of harm done with the tongue. In fact, 
the Bible has much to say about the tongue. In fact, I will tell you, because we are Pentecostal, no wonder the one instrument in our body that God asks for complete control is the tongue. No, I don't understand speaking in tongues with my natural mind. And I think, God, why of all the other things? You could have had a hundred million different things that you chose. Why the tongue? Because the tongue is the most unruly and no man can tame it. Not anyone on the face of the earth. But the one that can tame it is the one that asks for it. So we want to talk about the pitfalls of the tongue. So let's look specifically, we've already looked at uh, some of those pitfalls. Uh, uh, verse number three, again, let's cover it. God was, not, uh, uh, God was not unclear. He said, utterly destroy all that he has. Do not spare anything. But let, look at verse 15. And Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. And the rest we have utterly destroyed. So Saul began to say, look, you know, hey, we did it. But the people brought that to for you, he's basically saying to Samuel, verse number 20, Then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission on which the Lord sent me. And I have brought back Agag, the king of, the Amalek, uh, of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. Did he? What did God say? He said, don't spare anyone. And in this, Saul starts to get caught in half-truths, in falsehoods. And really, what they really are is just outright lies. We, we are the ones that paint them as half-truths and, and because we want to say, well, it's partly true. <laughs> well, there's some truth in it. But it wasn't there. This is what the Word of God says. Again, looking at James 3, 5 through 6, and talking about why is it that God asks for our tongues? So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. Behold how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life, and is set on fire by hell. Whew. 
That's why I gave you that picture of the tongue. That's why we'll go to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, and it says this, Do not let your speech cause you to sin, and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. What did Saul do? (laughs) Why should God be angry on the account of your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For in many dreams and in many words there is emptiness. Rather, fear God. And when you have that, you say, God, I'm just going to be careful not to say a whole lot of anything unless I know. <laughs> and now, now I want to, we're about to, because the second king of Israel is King David. And I'm going to give some parallels here in this third point. Because how many of you know that, that in our own eyes, that King David seems like, wow, God... Talk about a king who did some wicked things. I mean, come on. Saul, he didn't carry out some instructions about the army, but Saul didn't sleep with someone else's wife and then murder him. I mean, don't we all in our natural minds go there, right? How is it that God can, in such injustice, have this double standard? God's standard is never double. That's only in our minds. God is always just in everything he does. So this third one is the one I want to concentrate now for the rest of our time. And that is the pitfall of pretense. What does pretense mean? And if you know anything about the picture that I've put up there... These are masks that you put on and tie behind your face because you don't want the person to see what's really behind your face. That's what pretense means. It means that you try to put on an outward appearance and face knowing well that what really is there is not something you're wanting people to see. No, I'm not talking about being unfortunate in your looks. I'm talking about in your heart. Okay, I'm talking about what's on the inside that matters. And really, uh, pretense is hypocrisy. And if you look at the term hypocrisy and look at it and define it, it literally, in its definition, is a play actor. It means someone who plays. And that has, again, not someone who makes a mistake. Not somebody who royally goofs up, King David. It's a play actor. Somebody who fully intends to deceive people by putting on an outward mask while knowing that the inside is not what's there. That's what Saul did. That's why God said, it's over. Pitfalls of pretense are, or you could say this, if you want to write this down, 
half-hearted repentance is not repentance at all. This idea of, in our house, I can tell you, my, my one daughter that's here, getting old, can tell you that anytime something happened in our house, my wife and I, Jill, holding ourselves to the standard, and I've had to sometimes uh, uh, ask for forgiveness because in my flesh I fail, but we've said, you don't, if you are in this situation and something happens and a word is spoken and the door gets slammed. Okay. <laughs> Just had to make sure it was okay. <laughs> so a door gets slammed. But what we have always said in our home is when the door gets slammed, when you're talking out the issue, when you're really down there and people are bearing their hearts, you do not get the right to say, I'm sorry I did that to you. I'm sorry I slammed the door, but you shouldn't have. You hear me? We always said, no, 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 that doesn't fly. What you need to do and what we held each other to is, you know what? I was angry and I slammed the door and that was sin. Forgive me. That really is what it is. You can have every excuse you want, but it doesn't excuse it. So we always said, own. Saul never owned it. Look at verse 24. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have transgressed the command of the Lord and your words because... Here comes the excuse. Here comes the but. We're going to get to that, actually. Because I feared the people and listened to their voice. Who did he just blame? The people. It's no different than saying, I'm sorry I got angry, but you should have never done that and I wouldn't have slammed the door. Well, no. That only pointed out what was already in my heart. So, this thing of pretense is very important, okay? That's verse 24. Let's go down to verse number 30. Then he said, I have sinned, but <laughs> please honor me now. That doesn't sound like repentance to me. That sounds like, yeah, I'm sorry I got caught, but we got things to do. Put the mask on. <laughs> And, and here's the thing I say to my own shame. Your flesh, my flesh, has done that. Our flesh goes there naturally. Don't accept it. The only one that is not surprised by your grand mess up is God. But what he does require is a heart that is repentant. A heart that says, God, 
I have simply sinned and there's no excuse. I can't blame my father, my mother. I can't blame the people that you put around me. I've got no one to blame but me and my heart. And you say, how are you so sure about this? I want you to turn to Psalm 51. And just for a a moment, I want you to take a journey with me. We've pointed out some of the responses of Saul. Now I want you to read the Psalm of David. And I want you to, to listen for some key words. I want you to listen how many times... David says, I, my, me. His entire focus was, God, this has everything to do with me and not anybody else. I can't blame anyone but me. Listen to what he writes. Psalm 51, starting at verse 1. Be gracious to me, O God. According to thy loving kindness, according to the great compassions or greatness of thy compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee alone have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight so that thou art justified when thou dost speak and blameless when thou dost judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, thou dost desire truth in the inmost being and in The hidden parts thou wilt make known wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which thou hast broken rejoice. Don't you know when Nathan stood there before David, it was another prophet, Nathan, that stood before the king David. And he tells this story about this wealthy man that uh, had a guest. And instead of taking one of his lambs and and, uh, making do, he went out and found one of the poorest people in the village and stole his lamb and sacrificed it. And after he gets done with the story, Nathan the prophet tells the story, and David says, that man deserves to die. And the prophet looks him right in the eye and says, you're the man. You don't think that he felt like his bones were being broken? And he says to God, God, the bones you've broken, let them rejoice. Listen to verse 10. Create in me, create in me a clean heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from thy presence. Do not take thy Holy Spirit from me. 
Restore to me the joy of thy salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors thy ways and sinners to convert to thee. Never in the scripture has there been more of a clearer picture than true repentance than King David. No wonder the scripture confirms that David was a man after God's own heart. So I want you to see, because as we talk about pretense, let's be honest. All of us can say, well, I'm, I'm toast. But see, it hasn't, it hasn't got anything to do with perfection. And your sin may be massive. But listen to what the psalm says goes on to say, and look, this is so important. Remember, what was it that Saul wanted to do with the plunder? What was he going to do? He said to, he said to uh, Samuel, what? I brought it back to do what? Sacrifice to your God. He even blamed Samuel. But listen to what David said. Oh, Lord. Open my lips that my mouth may declare thy praise. For thou dost not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would bring it. For thou art not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. Whoo! Why is it that we look at the life of Saul and we have God say, that's it? In fact, if you look in chapter 15 a little further, Saul gets so indignant that he turns or that, that uh, Samuel gets on his way. Samuel said, no, hear the word of the Lord. Lord's rejected you. And he turns to go and Saul grabs him out to hold him there and it rips his robe. And Samuel says, I tell you today, God's ripped the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor. Why? Because, not because of the wrong he had done, because of no repentance. Why was David blessed even though horrible sin committed? And David lied about it for a long time. He had to be confronted. I'm so glad God confronts us. Let me share something with you. Don't allow the devil to beat you up. God loves you enough to confront you. His confrontation is never about making you feel like you're worthless and to give up. It's always to give you the chance to repent. Hallelujah. Praise God he's good. Every time he's come to me, he says, yes, that's bad. It's awful. Now, if you're willing, I'll take you back. Just like... 
the prodigal who finally had enough and said, I'm not worthy to even be called a servant. What did the father do? Said, nonsense, come here. Here's a ring for your finger. Put a robe on him. You're a child of God. You may be in a place where you said, Pastor, you don't understand what I've done. And I may not, but God does. And God is not any respect of persons. Listen to what Jeremiah the prophet said about the children of Israel. In spite of all this, her unfaithful sister Judah did not return to me with all of her heart, but only in pretense, declares the Lord. Then we're going to go to another one, Isaiah 29, 13, one that Jesus quoted. The Lord said, these people come near me with their mouth, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is of me is made up only of rules taught by men. Pretense. Pretense. I say this to encourage you. Guys, the full power of God is available. And God is not, if, if we were any of us, to have to do it on our merit, we all fall woefully short. But praise God, when you say, God, I desire, cleanse, cleanse my heart. God, I want to be clean. God, remove the horrible, wretched heart. God, I have no excuse. God, help me. God hears that prayer. Every time God hears that prayer. And may I say also, that is what keeps our ongoing relationship with Jesus. Because in John also, he says, continually confessing your sins to one another that you may be healed. It's because we get to the point where we say, what sin? That we're in trouble. Amen? Bow your head with me.